Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. And today we are reviewing Boz Lerman's Elvis. I ain't nothing but a hound dog. <sighs> uh, I'm trying to think of an Elvis song just saying, um, um, a little less conversation. I, I don't remember the rest of the <laughs> Wow. Wow. As myself, who was not really an Elvis fan to begin with, I am ashamed. Yeah. I, you know, I don't even really want to sing. I have like a giant canker sore on my tongue. So singing. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I just want everybody to know that. I, well, I really, do. really do. I really, really do. Now they do. <laughs> I'm going to say your real name in a minute. I'm just kidding. All right. So see, let me ask you, are you an Elvis fan? So no, I'm not. I, 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 obviously I know who Elvis is. Everyone does, but I was never a big fan of Elvis. So I knew of Elvis and I knew like what, maybe. I think everyone in the world knows of Elvis. I think he is of that. He's of that level. Yeah. I think my first like deep, deep exposure to Elvis was probably the Lilo and Stitch movie. Hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, because uh, basically, and, and here's the funny thing. That movie came out when I was a kid. So when Lilo talks about Elvis, I was like, oh, he must be from Hawaii. Turns out not to be the case at all. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually from, uh, well, he was born in Mississippi, but was raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And mm. he just fam- one of his most famous concerts took place in Hawaii. And then for some reason, Hawaii just kind of claimed him. Las Vegas claims him too. Um, And I didn't know about the Elvis Las Vegas connection until it was probably like Casino or something where they talk about like all these Elvis impersonators, I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, And then I first time I actually seriously listened to an Elvis song was probably in high school. When I heard uh, Jailhouse Rock for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think, like, is Jailhouse Rock his most famous song or is it You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog? I, I genuinely think You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog is his most famous. That's the one I think. Even, that's his, that's the song of his where there's to a point where if you've heard it, you're like, oh, yeah, like, I know that song. Yeah. And it's like, if you hear Jailhouse Rock, it, it it's almost as, let me be, let me be clear. It's like very subtle differences, but I think Hound Dog's a little more famous. And the reason is, is because it was kind of my first introduction to it when in first grade, one of my classmates was obsessed with Elvis and he would always imitate Elvis poorly. And he would always say, I ain't nothing but a hound dog, like a lot. So Mm. that's how I, so if a little kid knows it, then I think there's something there. Now, I always knew he was the quote unquote king of rock and roll. Um, you know, because I, 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 they talk about him in the history books. He's in so many pop cultural outlets, you know, whether they're referencing the 50s, whether they're referencing the birth of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. He always gets brought up. So I, I even before I seriously heard an Elvis song, I knew that he was considered the quote unquote inventor of rock and roll. And obviously later on when I was in college, did I get exposed to kind of the more critical examination of Elvis? Mm-hmm. And I mean that in the academic sense, you know, mm-hmm. people, you know, accuse Elvis of cultural appropriation. They accuse him of 
essentially stealing uh, blues from the black American cultural space mm -hmm. and turning it into a quote unquote white musical genre. Um, we don't have to go deep into that. I think that's more of an academic discussion yeah. for. I think we can. I think we'll get into a little bit about how the movie treated that subject, that that concept. But otherwise, there's very strong arguments on both ends in reality. I think yeah, I, I, I think, and see, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I am making an assumption, mm -hmm. but I assume you and I are going to approach this more through the lens of our thoughts on Baz Luhrmann the director and co-writer of this movie. I'm also going to approach this as the, with an approach to the performance of Elvis as well. Well, well yes, but I think, I think you and me as, as people, as cinephiles, as filmmakers, you know, the first thing we thought of when we heard about this project is like, Oh, Boz Lerman's making another project and it's about Elvis. Oh, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Yeah. Um, I, I will also admit though, and, uh, the one thing I'll say, and I'll get into that, it did. Did you listen to a little bit of Elvis's music after you saw this movie? Because I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's expected. Um, yeah. I heard a lot of songs that, uh, weirdly enough, I was like, oh, that's right. That's a that's an Elvis, quote unquote, that's an Elvis song. Like, mm -hmm. I totally forgot that. Um, well, okay, let me let me rephrase that. Oh, that's right. This is a famous Elvis cover. Mm -hmm. Like I knew, I knew of Unchained Melody, but when, when I saw the movie, I realized, oh, that's right. Elvis covered Unchained Melody, which is a famous like doo-wop song. Mm -hmm. um, he was one of the, he wasn't the first, but he was one of the, one of the first. There, to be fair, there were a lot around his time doing this where big artists were covering songs and we forget that like, they weren't the originators of it. But there are strong examples that you and I are both aware of where someone sings a song and as a teenager and even in college, you assume that they're the originators of it. But then you realize that's just the version everybody knows. Yeah. I mean, the version I'll quickly mention, of course, is with Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. Fun fact, fun fact, folks, that's a cover. But who remembers that? Exactly. Um, so, but yeah, kind of circling back, I guess because we're not Elvis super fans or even casual Elvis fans, I, I guess a, a better way to kind of delve into this movie is what are your thoughts on Boz Lerman, the director? What are my thoughts on Boz Lerman? Yeah. Um, I say, okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's just it's just no. that you're you you kind of took like a very long pause and then a big gulp of air. So no, I know, I know. So here's the thing: Boz Lerman, without a doubt, has a very unique vision. Um, it's a consistent vision, but it's nevertheless a unique one. That being said, man, when he hits, he hits, but when he misses, he like. The bat flies out of his goddamn hands sometimes. Like, it it, it can be bad. Like, Australia, m what the fuck? I, so back in our college days, I heard someone, I overheard someone say, Boz Lerman is Michael Bay, but with only music. <laughs> and then someone corrected him and said, no, Michael Bay make, made music videos. 
Baz Luhrmann is Michael Bay, but with music and dancing only. And I thought, <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm not going to credit who said that, but mm. I, uh, I thought to myself, like, because at that mo at that time, I had just seen, um, what was it, The Great Gatsby, and I thought to myself, Ooh. like. I thought to myself, like, oh, yeah, that's actually a really, really good point. Now, here's the ironic thing. I actually liked it, The Great Gatsby. Shut up. <laughs> no, no, I you... did. I, I did. Mostly for the performances from Leonardo DiCaprio, Tobey Maguire, mm. and, um, oh, what's her name? Oh, uh, from An Education and Drive. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, oh, I, I feel so bad. Uh, she she's... was in... She was in... Um... Well, she was re she recently was in um, a promising young woman. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, what was her name? Great actress. No, she's Great. fantastic. To be clear, she. Um, but Al, I just need to say this now. I fucking hate that the um, th uh, the Great Gatsby movie. The book is amazing. Let me be clear. But I also was convinced, and still am, based on I've actually seen both movies, the older one and Boz Lerman's. I'm you, still mean, convinced. you mean the one with uh, Robert Redford? Yeah. Okay. And I'm convinced. Oh, right. There's a, there's an even old. There was there an older version? Maybe not. But um, I've seen those two, and I'm convinced the book is unadaptable, because so much of it exists within your head, uh, and so much of it is. You realize when you watch both versions of the movie, it's so fucking melodramatic, but you you eat it up in the book. You it's great in the book. But it just, that's because your head and your emotions really tie into these characters heavily. But it just, because it's such an impersonal investment with the book, it doesn't translate. The moment you see a singular version or vision of the movie, you just, you lose something in yeah. certain ways. No, there, there are a lot of novels out there that mostly exist within the headspace of the characters. And they're, mm -hmm. they're, and their point of view that it's just so hard to adapt on screen because yeah. how do you how do you adapt thoughts into into physical objects? Yeah. Um, now, now that being said, Boslerman, I I think most people's our age their first exposure to Boslerman is Moulin Rouge. Yes, and people a little bit older than us. Probably their first exposure to him is Romeo plus Juliet with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Had something in my throat, and that was <laughs> and that was total disgust for that movie. Okay, not total. That's harsh. I just think when you wow, compare... your 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 snobbish Shakespeare fanboyism is showing. Listen, see. listen, listen, listen out. Listen, I am. You already knew this. I'm very invested in Shakespeare adaptations. I think there is a very fine craft to it. It's very, you really have to make a lot of interesting decisions to adapt that. And let me be clear, I do not have a problem with modern adaptations of uh, Shakespeare productions. I, I have no problem, but whether play or in movies, I have no problem with that. My problem is when you rebrand, you say the but the brand of the gun is sword. Go fuck yourself. The or saber. The only thing I remember from Romeo plus Juliet is that I just kept thinking, wait, is Mercutio gay? Is that what this is? <laughs> Implied. But right? Because I, I, I definitely was like, the, fir the first time I saw that movie, I was like, huh. 
it, like I actually asked my teacher, hey, is Mercutio gay in the stage play? And she looked at me and was like, you saw that Hollywood movie, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, in, in Shakespeare, there is and, and you only know, one actual character who is never said to be gay. Let me be clear. But there's there. Some people believe that he was an impersonation of a of a gay of a of what a gay man. Do you, do you remember the actor who played Mercutio? I really don't. I just remember um, that it was very, uh, it was a certain kind of way. Uh, Harold Perrineau, who uh, mm. you might know, he was in uh, The Matrix Reloaded. More famously, he was in Lost, I believe. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he was the he was the dad with the kid in Lost. Yes, yes. Um, he's a great, good, very good actor, let me be clear. He know, he's he's very impressive career. He's done a lot of great stuff. He, he's good. Oh, my gosh. He was also uh, Blade. He all he was also the voice of Blade in the anime. That doesn't. I didn't know that, but that's interesting. Oh, uh, anyway, anyway. So Boz Lerman, we got exposed to him. Most of us got exposed to him through Moulin Rouge, and one of the most iconic things on Moulin Rouge, and something else you notice in all his films, is that I I want to say Boz Lerman is like the only filmmaker. Or, or one of the few filmmakers who is convinced that you have to go through the first act as fast as humanly possible. He's not the only one. There are other directors that have done it for certain movies. He just always does it for all of his movies. Like, if, you, if you've seen a Baz Luhrmann movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For like the first 15 minutes, everything is moving so fast, both narratively and actually physically. He speeds everything up. He... The, he basically decides, well, by the time the inciting incident happens for his movies, the movie, the first act is almost over. And it's very intentional. Yeah. And it's 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 always very like well, off putting is the wrong word. It's more you're just kind of dizzy because you're like, whoa, 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 calm down, calm down. So um, I've heard I've heard some reasoning for that, like why he's done that. Um, really? What is it? So it's meant to because he. If you notice in a lot of his movies, he always does this sort of like, not not in every movie he's done, but he does this whole theatrical fit where there's like a little stage and the curtain opens. Like he's done that for a lot of his movies. Not well, them, especially but. his first three, Strictly Ballroom, Moulin Rouge, and Romeo plus Juliet. Yes. But he also continued that to a lesser extent up until... Um, no, he even did it for um, Great Gatsby a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he did. Like, he did. So... His thing with that is um, he is trying because he grew up in the theater. He really did. Like his parents were very much involved in theater. Yeah. He was like a he was like a dancing kid, wasn't he? Yeah. So his whole thing is that during. Al, have you ever worked backstage on plays? Once or twice. Okay, so I've I've done it a lot. I went to a high school where that was uh, that was my main thing. I worked backstage a ton at this arts high school, um, and I went did a, I worked a lot of backstage. And backstage has this rush that, especially when you have to do a lot, there's just this rush of hurry up and wait. And that's you, Al. You know this feeling on film sets too. Oh yeah, you, definitely. But the rush is different because it's a finite two hours, give or take on stage. And you have to be deathly quiet while doing it because there's audience members who will fucking hear you. If yeah. you're like above a whisper. Mm -hmm. So 
but there's a rush to it. There's a very like move this, put this here, put this there, do, put take take this over, go around the back so that nobody can see you, and then put this there, put this there. And he said that that adrenaline rush is true. Like he wants to depict that. He thinks that's like the best way to depict excitement a lot. Like that's why he does that. Mm-hmm. It's all about. So that's partially why he did it or does it a lot. And then I think for him, it just became this thing he does. I think it, like, especially in Elvis, it just become a th- became a thing he does. You know, irony of ironies. I would say that even though he does do it in Elvis, it's also the slowest one, but it's still very, very fast. Well, because there's so much you have to do. It's like, I'm sure he had a version where he planned to do it faster and someone must have said, you can't. Or, or like, I'm going to throw up because... As Boz Lerman is given more and more money, he goes, you know, instead of cranking the film super fast, instead of making every instead of cutting really fast, I'm also going to move the camera very, very fast. Um, In fact, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, if you go watch this movie in the theaters, you don't even have to wait for the for the title sequence. The literal intro logo of Warner Brothers lets you know that oh, this is a Boz Lerman movie, and yeah. this is gonna this is gonna be very uh, very. Um, it's gonna be a spectacle. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a campy spectacle, in you and you can take that many different ways. I don't think campy is the right word. It's very vaudevillian. Oh, I I would I would say campy just because. You know, campy doesn't mean silly. It just means heightened. And I feel like this you, is very heightened. You think heightened. that's not what camp... For me, campy... Okay, you're, no, you're right. Because John Waters' work, he has campy work, but it's still good. Yeah. You're right. No, yeah. you're right. No, and that's the thing. I think if you're on Boz Lerman's wavelength or kind of in the realm of similar taste that he has, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this is great. You know, this is why I pay... 20, 30 bucks to go see a movie. I want to see as much shit as possible on the screen, as much crazy things happening as possible on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of fans of Michael Bay, myself included, we kind of have that itch, except mm-hmm. we always want to see destruction and action and mayhem. Boz Lerman is like, let me show you uh, dancing, singing, jewelry, like mm-hmm. crazy costumes. The um, glitziest shit. You know, I would say he is, uh, he is Joel Schumacher when he was making Phantom of the Opera, but using the editing and shooting taste of Michael Bay. I do know that, um, so Boz apparently has been like, there's like many, a few, there are He's one of the directors who more often than not like tries to make certain projects and it doesn't work. That's why the, that's one of the many reasons why there's a pretty long gap between his movies. That and his movies at the box office, you know, he's had huge hits, but then he's had like gigantic misses too. Yeah, like obviously his most famous hit is Moulin Rouge and yeah. pretty much they gave him carte blanche to make Australia. And that was one of the biggest bombs of 2008. Yeah. Which, you know what? He did every he did what every director wants to do. It's, you have your chance to make whatever the hell you want. And he did. It's just, my God, that movie. Anyways. It's, inter- I, it's interesting that since Australia, he's stuck to making adaptations or biopics. So. Yes. Well, and that's, 
you don't have to look at that as being stuck. It's that because remember he was also a major role in that he did a Netflix series called oh, yeah. The Get Down. Yeah, The Get Down, yeah. Which was it was it it had some popularity for a minute. Like people were really enjoying it. I mean, he you can argue that that with making the get down, he kind of discovered one of the more hotter young actors working today, Yahya Abdul Mateen II. Well, in any case, how about yeah. we watch the trailer for Boz Lerman's Elvis and then let's talk about the movie. Let's do it. There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this here story. Let's don't let a good thing die. Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come knocking at your door? There's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. to promote you, Mr. Presley. Walk through a party in the town of jail. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready. Ready to fly. Tomorrow, all of America will be talking about Elvis Presley. I can't move, I can't sing. Some people want to put me in jail. The well's moving. They might put me in jail for walking across the street, but you're a famous white boy. The way he sings is God-given, so there can't be nothing wrong with it. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. That's all right for you. Tragedy, but it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. Oh, my Lord, my darling. Reverend once told me, when things are too dangerous to say, sing. I'm gonna be 40 soon, and nobody's gonna remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. And who are you, Oz? making the most of this thing while I can. This could all be over in a flash. We are the same, you and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. The greatest show on Earth. Elvis has left the building. So, I feel it apt to mention that, well, Al, how many times have we seen that trailer? 
starting in March, we probably saw it close to 10 times. <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> My God. And you know what? I'm really, really happy we'll never have to watch that trailer again. <laughs> I know. Because literally, remember when, and I think I mentioned this during the review, when The Northman came on, it played a bunch of independent film trailers. And to just not see the Elvis trailer, we were like, thank God. We, were, yeah, we both like, yeah. read such this a, 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 heavy a, sigh of relief. Here's the here's crazy thing. It's a good trailer. It's just, no, it's a good trailer. You just it's get just, tired of it like after like, seeing it that times. You're just like, all right, we know. But like... No, it's a great trailer, but yeah, after 10 times, nothing's... Now... Now we know nothing's good after 10 times. Now, uh, Elvis, it... I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. This is Boz Lerman telling us the biographical tale of Elvis's rise, fall, rise again, and then deeper fall until he dies. I mean, yeah. that, that was pretty self-explanatory. Now, as I stated before, me and C are not big... Elvis fans and I would say our knowledge on Elvis is probably limited to whatever we knew about him from pop culture from American yes. pop culture uh, that being said for those music historians those rock and roll historians fans of Elvis pretty much the target audience for this movie they know the history of Elvis and yeah. Elvis and I didn't know this until Probably like six months ago when I decided mm -hmm. for some weird reason, I decided to be like, oh, what? I wonder what was Elvis's deal? Like I knew he died from taking a lot of pills, but, you know, I wanted to know what mm -hmm. his deal was. Elvis is one of the most famous cases of of uh, a musician, an artist, an entertainment act just being like abused and conned out of their money by their manager mm. he's no, like it was bad he's like the poster boy for getting screwed by your manager to be clear it's toned down in the movie yeah like, that's what's fun and and there's been critique of that people have criticized boz lerman and warner brothers for toning down uh just the awfulness of elvis's manager now elvis's manager was a man named uh Colonel Tom Parker, and he always demanded that you called him Colonel Tom Parker. Mm -hmm. uh, he claimed to be from West Virginia. He was basically a guy who ran a carnival, and he happened to hear Elvis sing, and he thought to himself, well, you know, this guy seems to have the makings of a big star, and he dropped all his other business ventures to just focus on promoting and managing Elvis's career. And this Although guy, the way the movie depicts he discovered Elvis is not accurate. It, that was not correct. No, no, that, that's not accurate. And if you want to know the more truly how they met, look it up on Wikipedia or the Internet. Yeah, which, which we're is, not going to talk about. Yeah. That uh, but essentially, he took 50 percent of Elvis's earnings. He manipulated Elvis to only tour in North America and basically never leave the country, even though that was one of his biggest goals and dreams was to tour worldwide, take his act to places like uh, Japan, uh, mm. Europe, uh, even Africa and South America. Yeah, no, he uh, wa he really wanted to go all over. The and the movie does depict this yeah. very, very vividly. He yeah. wanted to go all over. And it basically, the colonel said, if you do that, I am done. I'm abs I'm not working with you and I will demit and he threatened to sue him. It was it was fucked but, up. But but even before he did that, right? Mm -hmm. He 
So most people know that Elvis famously was one of the first big, big, big uh, musical acts to do a residency in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he Colonel Tom Parker convinced Elvis to do this for uh, a new hotel in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And rather infamously, he ran Elvis ragged. He basically had him perform night after night, night after night. Uh, got Elvis hooked on pills because he was so exhausted and couldn't sleep. And then after the the term was up, which was usually between six to eight weeks, he would then have Elvis take a whole summer tour around the United States, like at a different city every day, every night, mm-hmm. and do that 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 uh, musical show. And it many people believe it was that amount of just. Exhaustion. He did this for nearly four years. Yeah, he, straight. Basically, this amount of concert tours, uh, Vegas Vegas shows, like just overwhelmed him and made him basically hooked on pills, and eventually wore out his heart. And obviously, he died on a toilet from a heart attack. Well, also famously, Elvis's diet was not great to say the least. Something that the movie does not talk about. Funny enough, no, they don't. Yeah. But he, the, the other famous thing about Elvis is that he, he like uh, Marlon Brando, seemed to only eat junk food. Like the food mm-hmm. he would eat almost daily was a peanut butter, banana, and bacon sandwich. Yep. And you wonder how he got fat so fast. And he'd cook and he'd fry, sometimes he'd fry it in lard. Oh, God. <laughs> Just think about that. All right. He loved it. That's right. what his mom used to make him. Because yeah. lard was cheap. That's why they did it. Yeah. Now, uh, the Elvis film covers, you know, probably from when Colonel Tom Parker discovers Elvis in Tennessee up until up until he dies. And it's framed around, ironically enough, uh, the day the night uh, Colonel Tom Parker dies. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. he has a heart attack. And as he's dying in the hospital, he's talking to the audience, trying to in a very fruitless endeavor convince us that hey i had nothing to do with elvis dying and i'm going to explain why and an interesting turn the film makes is that it becomes pretty obvious that like yeah you're the villain and you're just talking shit like we don't believe you um which i think again earlier i said that people have criticized the film for being too lenient towards tom parker I would say while it doesn't show the extent of just his awfulness as a human being and as a as a manager, it mm-hmm. definitely doesn't paint him in any sort of sympathetic light. I think no. I think and I think this was a, a big twist for well, when I saw this film, I had a couple audience members next to me go like because uh, Colonel Tom Parker is played by Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, they turned to each other and they were like, wait, Tom Hanks was the bad guy. Yeah, wow. I don't know how I feel about that. And I thought to myself, a good use of casting Tom Hanks, I have my my concerns about his performance. I have my thoughts. But I thought it was very interesting that they use that assumption that he's always playing some sort of redeemable character and that this is the first time in a long time that he's played someone who is just straight up unredeemable. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a con man up until his last breath. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's pretty much covering the plot of Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they also go into his childhood. By yeah. The way. Yeah. They go into his childhood. And 
what I'm trying to get here is that it's pretty by the numbers. Ironically enough, it's the first biopic I've seen in a while that's actually lived up to the biopic trope of like showing when they're born, showing when mm-hmm. they die, which we haven't seen in a while because a lot of because bio- usually it stopped it, it, there after the after a while that trope stopped working. Yeah. For like, a lot of reasons. Yeah, now you see biopics that cover either a certain event in that figure's life or it covers or uh, just the, the highlights, the or, best moments. Or the best moments. Worst. Yeah, yeah. Now, so the plot's very standard and some might say very forgettable or very average. What makes or breaks this movie is how you feel about the performances from Austin Butler, who plays Elvis, Tom Hanks, who, as I said before, plays Colonel Tom Parker. How you see the the music being used in this film, and most importantly, the concert set pieces, which is a big, big chunk of this movie. Believe it or not, this movie is more Elvis singing to the audience than it is, you know, us seeing the highs and lows of Elvis's life. That stuff's there, but that's not really what Boz Lerman seems to be very interested in capturing. He wants mm-hmm. to capture how it really felt being at an Elvis concert. And let me say this. I think he succeeded. This film, for me, this film really made me feel how I would assume the atmosphere was when you were in concert watching Elvis sing. You know, I think we are, it's so easy for us to forget the foundations of, of what makes uh, of any sort of, you know, artistic movement, you know, because we, we, we always see the most recent stuff, the newest stuff, the, the groundbreaking stuff, but that we never focus on the old stuff, the stuff that leads, leads to the new stuff, right? Or we go like, oh, I've seen this done better, or oh, I've seen this done so many times before that it's not new or groundbreaking to me. And what this film tries to do through the use of camera, through the use of you know, um, ironically enough, old and new music, it tries to get you to kind of feel just how crazy it was to see Elvis and to kind of see him be Elvis. Am I making sense? You are making sense. And I think the way I'd sum up what you're saying for me was that I never got Elvis until I saw this movie. Uh, And I know that's a big statement, but think about it. It's like, I never understood. It's like, what... Like, why? Like, why was this so big? And you actually, this movie, it's like, I'm not saying, like, I've become an Elvis fanboy now, but it's like, I understand. I now understand. And it's from seeing this movie. It's like, okay, I understand. You know, yes, you are, said it in yeah. the best way possible. And what I'll add is that I finally understand why the Beatles were such big fanboys of Elvis. Oh, yeah. I get it now. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, look, people forget, and I'm amazed there hasn't been a movie about him yet either. You know who the Rolling Stones were huge fans of, right? Who? Muddy Waters. That's right. They were, they, why do you think they named themselves Rolling Stones? <laughs> That's right. Oh my God. I just. Now, technically, there was a role, a sort of Muddy Waters biopic, Cadillac Records, but we're not going to talk about that movie. Yeah. Um, anyways. So is there anything else you want to say on this? Um, I guess the first big thing, uh, I, I think let's leave the Boz Lerman of it all for last. 
Sure, sure. The first big thing, the thing that everyone's talking about, the thing that everyone will be talking about up until February or March of next year <laughs> is Austin yeah. Butler's performance as Elvis Presley. So I will say it now. And listen, when we talk about, when we get to our Oscar show, listen, he's, he is going to get nominated. I, I, I'm saying it now. He's going to get nominated. I don't know if he'll win. He's very young. This and he's biopics. They've been less for, they've been less keen on these days, but he is going to get nominated because my God, he fucking nails it. Austin, 100%. Austin Butler could very easily have gone the route of, I'm just going to do an Elvis impersonation. He doesn't do that. He plays Elvis. He As a person. As a person, yeah. Because here's the thing about Elvis. Elvis, the Beatles, Madonna, Prince, Michael Jackson. Yeah. Those are all figures that we only know how to parody. Britney Spears, actually. Yeah, yeah, Britney Spears. We only know how to parody them. And what I mean by that is that we just create these caricatures of them, right? That That's what all anybody does. That's what stand-up comedians do. That's what mm -hmm. sketch comedians do. That's what we do when Vegas we're Vegas is filled with them. Yeah. All we do is basically remember them from some music video or some concert that we saw. And we just, you know, just play them as a joke, you know? I mean, yeah. the, 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 the players at SNL are great at this. Yeah. So when that's all you're exposed to, right? When that's all there really is, how the fuck do you play Elvis as an actual human being? Because he was an actual human being. How do you do that? How do you do that without coming off as hilarious that you're doing a, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. My name is Elvis Presley. I'm about to sing. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. See, even when I'm doing it, it sounds like I'm making a big no, it joke. Sounds, yeah, because here's the thing. And actually, the movie talks about this. He was starting to become a bit of a joke at the end of his life. And this is true. People kind of thought saw him as this. He's... They saw him as a sellout towards the end. Yeah, it, it doesn't help that, you know, especially like you said, towards the end, he started spray tanning himself. He started kind of going all uh, straight man Liberace on us with his outfits or, or cowboy Liberace, I guess. He'd done that for a while, though. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, well, because he was always he always dressed eccentrically. Yeah. Let's be, in fact, the movie points out and I actually appreciated this. That it was, he was one of the first rock and, well, this is what was an iconic aspect of rock and roll. He, when he went on stage, he wore noticeable makeup. And people were like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's like, on stage, it's a different thing. Not just that. He was basically, especially in the early part of his career, he pretty much was wearing what was the 1950s equivalent to, uh, quote unquote, urban fashion. No, really. He and that's like actually that's another thing the movie really covers. What? Well, we'll get in. I'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um. So you know he would wear. I I don't know if there were zoot suits exactly, but kind of that style that. Well, it was a zoot suit, but then he would fuck with it. Yeah, like and, it wasn't and, it wasn't a complete zoot. Yeah, suit. Yeah, and he wouldn't even get like a quote unquote masculine color. He would get it in like pink or purple. Yeah. So. Like in the trailer, you see that that uh, a Tennessee kid basically says calls him a buttercup, which was uh, kind of a PG way of saying 
homo. Yeah. Well, in the movie, to be clear, they that that word is they use and I'm they use a different word. Is all I'll say. Okay, yeah, but but pretty much it's like they they pretty much insinuate that he's a homosexual. Yes. And that's what makes the following scene that much better when he starts oh singing. And what's great is, did you notice that that same guy, after he sees how his girlfriend reacts, starts yelling on stage, stop it! Stop it now! Yeah, stop yeah. That. that was really funny. And, and, and that's something else the movie captures really well. Chess, was he the first sex icon in music? Um, there must have been others, but there must have been others. But he, he, he must have been the first one that was just so overtly sexual. Like, yeah, listen, yeah, it was the things he does on screen is super tame by today's standards. All he literally does is kind of move his hips back and forth. Yeah. But think about that. But the movie actually captures it really well with just the right kind of close-ups. And it, what's unique about that is the fact that those specific close-ups, which could be seen as comical, you understand, oh, that's how the world back then saw that. Yeah. They weren't they didn't care about the hip movement. What they saw was he's moving his junk around in his pants. What the fuck? Like yeah. that's how they saw it. Yeah. And you know, kind of circling back to Austin Butler's performance, he really gives it his all both physically with the dancing and the shaking and the gyrating and along with, you know, obviously his singing ability and his his performance of humanizing Elvis Presley even mm-hmm. though the film is not told from his point of view. It's told from the point of view of Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks. But but it no, but it does delve into his point of view. No, it, it does. It does. It's just you know, it's which not, is interesting that it does that. Yeah, and the thing is, is that again, this this guy's like what, twenty five maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, def- the actual actor. Yeah, uh, Austin Butler. I thought he was like in his later twenties, but I don't know. Like, like the guy's not thirty. Def- he's definitely, no. not, he's definitely not thirty, and he was given the gargantuan task of, hey, here's a, okay, so he's actually thirty-one. He does not look it. Yeah, he doesn't look it, but he's thirty-one. So this guy was given the gargantuan task of, hey, you're playing Elvis, but you're playing the actual real person, Elvis. You're not playing a. A stereotype. You're, and he was directly offered the role. He did not audition. No, he did audition. He did? Yes. I thought Boz really wanted him, and that was no. The so thing. ironically enough, um, he sent an. He was about to send his audition over to the casting director, and he looked at it and he threw it away because he said, "Oh, I was basically doing what everybody else does is uh, uh, basically, you know, trying trying to sound like Elvis and kind of move <laughs> like him." While he was singing, and he threw it away because he said, oh, that sucks. Well, the other thing you realize is he figured out, oh, that Elvis voice, he, Elvis actually just has a deep voice. That whole accentuation he adds to it, that was the performance version. Yeah. So he figured out, oh, I can actually turn it, tone it down a bit. Now, what makes this better is that he goes to bed, he has a nightmare about his mom dying, and he wakes up crying, and he thinks to himself, Wait, what if I sing the song as if I'm singing to my recently dead mother? So he records it like that. Mm. And so basically the way Balls Lerman tells it is that he saw the audition tape and it's Austin Butler disheveled in a bathrobe with tears in his eyes as he's singing the song. And he's like, oh, that's my Elvis. <laughs> Damn. But in, in any case, in any case, again, this guy's 31 years old and like, 
he makes me believe that somewhere down the line we can have a biopic of someone like Prince and it not be a joke, you know? Yeah. Cause, cause again, everything about Elvis's life is so easy into parody. The way he talked, the way he dressed, the way he gained weight, the way he ate food. I mean, it actually makes me intrigued by, or at least hopeful for the recently announced uh, Madonna biopic. I'm like, okay, this could work. Who's playing Madonna again? Oh, it's uh, she's from Ozark, you know? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Julia Gardner. And I wasn't sure about it. And then I saw a picture and I'm like, oh, I now see it. It's yeah. like, no, no. See Again, it. it's one of those things where you're like, oh, wow, this this is an actual person. It's crazy to think, you know, I mean, and, and there's such nuance to his character. You know, um, one of the things I was really interested in was how were they were going to portray Elvis's relationship with the, the black musical community. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think they did it about as well as they could. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's pretty apparent through history, through Elvis's own commentary upon his musical taste, that this guy was a fan of uh, rhythm and blues. It seemed to yes. be the thing he was really into. Mm -hmm. He he very literally, and this is something the movie got right, he grew up around it. That is true. Yeah. He actually, he he grew up around where in those in the area where that music was popular before it was really popular, and that is 100% true. Now, the the kind of sticky part of this whole situation is that you have two camps of people. One that think that Elvis maliciously stole from black artists to heighten his own fame. And those that think that, no, he just liked what he liked and he didn't think of the kind of the interracial aspect of it all. Like he really mm -hmm. didn't. Now I think one I think one school of thought is a bit too malicious and the other one is a bit too naive. I think it's But more, isn't so both can be true. Both can be true. I, yeah. I think I I definitely think that he only sang songs that he genuinely liked. For instance, uh Hound Dog started off as a black female anthem on yeah. basically pointing out guys who were like double timing their girlfriends. Yeah. Right? And as far as we know, he didn't really, again, not to try to throw him under the bus, but this is true. He, as if he's still alive, but as far as we know, he didn't, they're not, it took years to realize what you just said. Like for years, people did not know the original recording of that song. Yeah. And it's one of those things that it's very apparent that Elvis liked the song yeah. and he probably pushed to record his own version of it. Um, I, I don't now. The man is obviously dead. He's been dead since yeah. 77. Yes. There's no way we can know if he was like, I want to take this song and make sure that there's only a white version. I don't know if he's like, I like this song and I just want my own version. We don't know. The man is dead. We don't and, know. And, but I, but I, do, I, yeah. I do like how the film approached that. He, mm -hmm. was in that. he was in that environment. He was in Memphis. He loved going to Beale Street. Mm -hmm. and which back then as a white dude doing that that was very controversial it exactly. really was it, that was like really you was. did that and you got you got looked at in a weird way yeah. if you did that it, you could get hurt it, it's so crazy to think by your family let me be clear not just that it's so crazy to think that people looked at elvis weirdly because in their mind oh he's dressing up like a like a rhythm and blues black uh guitarist or singer the, he's wearing a zoot suit in the fifties, like people, people looked at him weird, even mm -hmm. though like women would be like, Oh, he's handsome, but why is he wearing that? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to see, like, because you think to yourself, like, well, that's that's Elvis's iconic look. That that's that's what everybody started doing once he became mm-hmm. famous. And then you think to yourself, well, well, yeah, but this is before he was famous. It, it's interesting to see that some of the most iconic and famous things in American culture, when they first came about, they were just seen as very weird and out there. It's, it's interesting to see. But yeah, Austin Butler, I think this is quite the uh, red carpet uh, uh, entrance to his Hollywood career. This is not, he, he's officially an A-list actor, A-list yeah, le- this, leading man. This, this literally did it. Yeah. Um, and I say good for him. I, I want to look at his career and what you see is he basically got his start being D-list talent for Nickelodeon and Disney. Like he would have like one episode appearances on various Disney and Nickelodeon uh, teen sitcoms. He was also in some Nickelodeon movies too. Like I think that's him in Aliens in the Attic or whatever. Yeah. And I think. And you think to yourself like, ugh, imagine that that's all your career was for like the majority of your teens. And then he gets uh, he gets his big break with, um, I know this sounds weird. He gets his big break with like a, a fantasy TV show that was on Oh, the Shannara Chronicles. Yeah. I'm really upset that I know that, but that's because one of my former roommates when I lived in Savannah watched it as a joke and then just kept watching it. And I watched a few episodes. (laughs) He was the lead in that. I believe he was. Yes. And I'm, I'm watching this. If you, okay, here's the thing about the Shannara Chronicles. It is truly one of those. It's so bad. It's kind of good things. Mm -hmm. Um, like I literally watched three episodes with my friend here and I'm like, this sucks so good. It's like, it really is one of those. But he's he's fine in it. You don't really think anything of it. I, it's like, it's not like when I saw him and that I'm like, oh, he's going to be big. No, I wouldn't have thought that. And, you know, so that's his big break. And then in 2019, he gets supporting roles in uh, uh, Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die, which not a lot of people saw. And one that a lot of people did see was Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He plays Tex Watson, one of the would-be uh, uh, Sharon Tate murderers. Yep. And, and he has quite the uh, interesting death scene. Yes, uh, that was something. So, but, but Elvis is his first uh, leading role. And after this, he is working at, in Dune Part 2. Mm-hmm. He's playing... Um, the evil prince. Yeah, uh, Sting's uh, uh, character. Yes, he's playing yeah. Sting's role. I, I I could not begin to pronounce that name. Thaid Rauthia Harkonnen. Is that how you said? I do not know. <laughs> and obviously Tom Hanks thinks highly of him. He's going to be in the spiritual sequel to Band of Brothers and the Pacific, Masters of the yes, Air. Yes, I heard about this, and I that's really something. Yeah. Now, Tom Hanks, since we're on the topic of Tom sure. Hanks. Who, let me be clear, Tom Hanks, legend, obviously. Legend, legend. Yeah. Uh, his, he was the weakest part of this movie. I his, said it. his acting. He wasn't bad, but his, it, was, it was weird. His acting choices for Colonel Tom Parker are questionable to say the least. Yeah, because I've looked at real footage of Colonel, Colonel Tom Parker, and I'm like, He's more like um, um, First the of all, lead in – no, he's more like the lead in Uncut Gems than anything else. Well, I, I was going to say, first of he all – He acts more that way. 
Tom Hanks gives uh, Colonel Tom Parker a very, very heavy Dutch accent. I mean, I don't even know if you would call that Dutch. It, it sounds Dutch by way of German. <laughs> mm. And if you just Google Colonel Tom Parker interview. It doesn't sound like that. He literally sounds like he's from Kentucky. Like with yeah. maybe the tiniest hint of a European accent, the tiniest. Yeah. Like he really has a Southern drawl. And yeah. you would think, oh, that makes sense because nobody realized he was an illegal immigrant until yeah. later on in his life. Like when Elvis found out, you would think that if he did have that heavy accent that Tom Hanks gives him, that people would be like, with that accent, you're definitely not from West Virginia. Yeah. You know, which was, uh, that was interesting that people were like, you're not from America. It's like, well, I'm not saying back then, you know, you really didn't guess. All right, fine. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those things that when you watch the movie and you hear him talk, you're like, well, he's a foreigner. He's not American. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and you would think like the characters would realize that too. And it's not until like what, 10 years after the fact that Elvis goes like, wait, are you telling me the ad? Cause he calls him the Admiral. You're telling me the Admiral is not from America. He's not American. Um, so yeah, I was that moment happened. I was like, I thought we knew that. <laughs> I, I, I thought you knew that, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, that that accent. I, I don't know if that was a Tom Hanks choice, a producer choice, a Baz Luhrmann I, choice. I bet you, I bet you money it was a Baz Luhrmann choice. I bet <sighs> you money on that. Okay, yeah, I, 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 I really think it was. I wouldn't take that bet because you're probably right. You know, it's it's he. Baz was like, no, I really need them him to talk this way, and Tom was probably just like, all right, fine, the sure. paycheck's big now, enough, now, sure. A lot of people have criticized the makeup and the fat suit. I think it's fine. I mean, it actually, I don't think it, because here's the problem though, because Tom Hanks is such an iconic looking actor too. Like we all know what he looks like putting any kind of like that extensive amount of makeup on him. Automatically you see where it doesn't work Yeah, because we all know what he looks like. Yeah. See, it's not I that totally it's bad. Agree with it's you. that like, wait, I know this isn't what he looks like. So no. this just looks bad. No, exactly. I think that's just it. That Tom Hanks is such an iconic actor that if you put any kind of makeup on them, it just looks wrong. I mean, there are very few actors. Like, for instance, um, you really, really have to cover a guy with makeup to hide them. Like, for instance, if they had given him, like, a fake nose and maybe a different type of forehead. That's like, what I never get. It's like, it's all in the nose and the forehead. That's the trick. Yeah, because... I don't do makeup, but even I've, I've because learned they, that. Because they did that with Charlize Theron in Monster and... And it worked. Tom Cruise in... Uh, in uh, Tropic Thunder, and they it did works. It in a, they did it in Vice, yeah. among a few other things. No, yeah, in Vice too. I, I, and they changed his hairline and forehead, and they changed his nose just a little bit. Yeah, just so you can see see a different different person. Yeah, I, I honestly think it's one of those things where maybe Boz Lerman or a producer was like, "No, we want people to know it's Tom Hanks." But why at that point? Yeah, then you're know. like, but then the fat suit just looks weird on him. We don't care. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I have, I really can't take points off for on the movie for the fat suit. It just, you know, it's just one of those things. That I'm like, I know that's Tom Hanks. I know he's a thin guy. This this yeah. is just weird. It's weird. It's not bad. It's weird. Um, in terms of how he's portrayed, mm -hmm. I think the movie's intention was to have us think, oh, on some level. Tom Parker is just looking out for 
uh, Elvis Presley. And I think the film is trying to make it a narrative twist that we realize like, oh no, he is a piece of shit. I think, but the- we know he's a piece of shit. And even, even not forgetting the history. Cause I really didn't know much about their relationship, but even seeing it, you're like, you know, he's like planning all this out and like, he's, he's doing all these things. It's like, He's an unreliable narrator. And I actually, what I liked about this though, is I think that's what was intentional. It's like, he's telling his, I think the thing about the movie was he's so clearly in the wrong that even when he's trying to say, no, 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 I'm the good guy. It's just almost amazing. It's like that he thinks that he's in the right here and they just still depict him thinking he's in the right. I, I think the big problem is, is that that's such a subtle thing to do to, kind of let a character like like hang themselves with their own actions and with their own words. Mm-hmm. Um, and Boz Lerman is anything but subtle. But like, I, I think, okay, here's what's amazing is I, am, I intentionally am choosing to believe that that's just, that's just how the movie came out. And while, yes, he's not that subtle, sometimes you, you mix in the right ingredients and you manage to make it work. So if, that's the portrayal that I'm choosing for this movie to be. Yeah. I, whether intentional or not. I, and I, when you look at it in that way, you're like, that's actually really interesting. No, I, like, I agree with you. If, I, if, I, whether intentional or not, it's how it turned out. And that's quite incredible. I never for a second thought that the movie was trying to sympathize with Tom Parker. Um, I think it just is that for a lot of critics and a lot of Boz Lerman viewers or who know him and fans – it's just to be like, oh, wow, that's that's a really, really subtle uh, narrative choice. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never thought Boz Lerman was capable of that. Maybe it was totally accidental or incidental. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think Boz Lerman is a talented enough storyteller that he can be like, you know, instead of just outright presenting him as the evil bad guy, let mm-hmm. me let me make him hang himself with his own rope. Yeah. And so I thought that worked. I know a lot of people say it didn't, but it, it worked for me. Like, you know, I think when you cast someone as lovable as Tom Hanks, when literally nicknamed America's dad at times. Yeah. When you, uh, when you have a framing device, that's all about like, I didn't kill Elvis. No, I was looking out for him. You know, I didn't shoot Kennedy. You know, <laughs> when you have all these things, and at the end, you're like, no, you were a piece of shit. Even the, when, when the movie ends with a little, little note saying, like, Colonel Tom Parker was sued so that he had no, like, so that he would have no ownership of anything of Elvis Presley's estate. When mm-hmm. the movie spells that out for you at the end, you're like, no, mm-hmm. they want you to know he's a bad guy. They're just being a little subtle about it because he's not like twirling his mustache. Well, okay. There is a scene where there's a scene, there's a, there's a moment, there's a moment where it's so obviously he's twirling his mustache, but by then it's like the movie's going like, no, 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 this is not a good guy. He's not looking out for Elvis. He's looking out for himself. So when, when I was reading reviews saying like, Oh, they were, they didn't make Colonel Tom Parker to be the bad guy. I just kept thinking to myself, like, well, they were subtle about it, but it was still a very clear thing. But I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think again, when people view a movie, they get such different things out of it. I just, for me personally, I never got the sense that uh, Tom Parker was anything but the villain of the story. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Let me, so he, let me give you a quick rundown on my overthought, overall thoughts here. Sure. 
right off the bat, as I said earlier, I when I finished this movie, I finally got it. It was like I, I understood the Elvis obsession, truly. And I noticed something very very interesting about it. And it actually helped when I looked up what Bos Lerman was saying about this movie. He very intentionally said, This is not just my this is not just an Elvis biopic. This is an Elvis superhero movie. And when you start to look at it in that frame, where that's how he's thinking about directing this, it makes a little more sense. Or it at least lines up a little bit more in its own way. Because yes, it is, there are certain things that are heightened for dramatic effect. There are certain things that are put in a slightly friendlier frame of mind. But overall, I really, really like how they handled most of those delicate issues. Um, Obviously, Austin Butler's performance was really shocking in how incredible it was. Um, And I'm also just amazed that I am literally watching this really fast-paced, long biopic. And I'm a sucker for a good biopic, I know. But I'm just enjoying the fucking ride. And here's the thing. I have told you, Al, and I think I've said this on the podcast at this point, I don't like when a movie is excess for the sake of excess. This might be one of the few examples where it works, I think. Truly, it's full, just over the top, and just all over the place, and you love it. You also, the other thing I loved about this movie, and actually I was talking to my dad about this, we, we, we make fun of Elvis a lot. We do, because it's like, oh, look at him. He's such a, a weird character. No, 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 no. One thing this movie helped me realize, and after I talked to my dad, helped me realize, Elvis completely changed large sections of American culture. A single man did that while he was alive. Think about that for just a moment. Because, okay, what was music before him, okay? Popular music. You know what it was, Al? It was the equivalent of Hank Williams. And they had that, remember they did that? He, how he traveled with that other dude, remember? Yeah, the, the guy who was in Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, and here's the, here's the thing. That was never, that never happened in that sense. The reason why they depicted that is he, Boz actually wanted to show like the departure of what American country, what a lot of American music was at the time to what it was about to become. And it's literally saying Elvis is what it's about to become. Because he, and here's where I realized what I liked about Boz Lerman's take on it. And yes, it was favorable. And I'm sure, as we said earlier, the, the concept of did Elvis appropriate steel or... Uh, pay tribute to what was music originally created by black people. And what it was is this movie is saying, no, Elvis is a fusion of this music, not an evolution of fusion. And yes, it did state it was a loving tribute because he was very, he still to his dying day was friends with a number of very well-known black artists as well. Is there, are there some rose cutlery glasses? I'm sure there were. But overall, that the handling of that topic, because I was very curious about how they handled that topic, overall was done very well. But the fact that it, this movie, and this movie made me like an Elvis song, and I didn't think it would, and that is that If I Can Dream, which is the famous song he sang, 
behind it, the big red letter Elvis, you know, big Elvis behind his name. Yeah. When I saw that in the movie, I'm like, okay, this is the one song of his where it's not his hokey self. And if you listen to the original recording, there's a few moments, if you listen, where he drops the entire, like, I ain't nothing but uh, uh. Like, that's one of the few songs where he sings like he would really sing if he wasn't putting on a, a complete performance. And that's why that song is actually quite impressive. Now, now something you mentioned that I do feel like we should talk about. Yeah. So... Boz Lerman calls this an Elvis superhero movie. Mm-hmm. I also want to state that this is probably the closest we'll ever get to a quote-unquote Elvis concert movie. Uh, a big chunk yeah. of this film is Elvis playing uh, probably three or four concerts. And it's interesting, the choices. Well, bo- also, the, the last one is a bunch of, is like his, during his stint in Las Vegas, and it's just a bunch of concerts. So it's treated as one. So I- interesting, though, is that the, 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 at least for when he starts his Vegas residency, right? Mm-hmm. Which everyone considers to be his deepest, his last and deepest downfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go- Even though everyone agrees that some of his greatest shows were also there. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Uh, it's pretty much agreed upon from the bit of research I've done that the greatest of those concerts was his Hawaiian concert. That was the peak of how good that show was. The greatest mm-hmm. show on earth, as Tom Parker called it. Mm-hmm. But Boz Lerman doesn't even show that concert. In fact, he just makes a passing reference to it. He mm-hmm. decides to show the first concert, which it was good, but it was nowhere near as good as the quote unquote Hawaii concert. Right. Yeah. But the reason he chose it was because he wanted to show the excitedness that, that Elvis had over playing at this venue. And you can only really do that if you're going to show the first one, you know, the, when he thinks, Oh, I'm going to do this for six weeks for a month and a half. And then I'm going to Asia. You know, there's a narrative reason why he chose the first concert versus the quote unquote best concert. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was a no brainer was the uh, Elvis TV special. But he doesn't go with the songs everybody knows from the TV special. He goes with the song you referenced earlier, Mm see, and with bits and pieces of the um, of the first song, the Jailhouse Mm -hmm. Rock song. Uh, And it's really interesting because there's a narrative reason why. Boz Lerman goes with, he doesn't always go with the hits. like, yeah. uh, And it works so much better for it. Yeah, because you would think, okay, there's going to be a whole musical number around uh, falling in love with you, right? There isn't. Mm-hmm. The song is used as the, the theme for his romance with his wife, Priscilla Presley, mm-hmm. but there's never a big musical number around it. And he, he doesn't even touch, outside of you know singing Jailhouse Rock, at the Elvis special, he never touches, you know, when Elvis sang Jailhouse Rock, when he made his mm-hmm. first movie or his second movie, his first musical mm-hmm. movie, you know, yeah. the famous, you know, dancing and the silhouettes dancing behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't show that. It's um, all the, it's all the schlock that he talks about. No, yeah. It's all the schlock that he talks about. But the re- for instance, the reason why he goes with uh, the song you referenced, what was it called? See, if I can dream, if I can dream, is because Elvis wants to talk about, you know, the recent assassinations of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. 
Dr. Yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. Which, to be clear, that didn't happen like as they were filming the special. That yeah. was for dramatic effect. But, but yeah. it was pretty close. But basically, Boslerman, he doesn't go with the hits because there are songs that fit the story better. And mm-hmm. I appreciated him doing that. And the... And more musical m- m- biopics based on musicians should do that. Because at the end of the day, what a lot of people don't understand is you have to do some digging, but it's rare when a famous musician's favorite song is their most famous one. It's yeah, very exactly, rare. exactly. And again, I think Boz Lerman, because he uses so much excess, ac- excess mm-hmm. you would think, oh, he's going to clutter up the screen and I'm not going to enjoy it. But he does just enough that you're really wrapped into the glamour, the 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 ritziness, the just the extreme that is an Elvis Presley musical number. I think he does that very, very well. Um, and and again, you know, Boslerman, no one can ever say like he's an actor's director. He's very much more about the music, the dancing, the costume design, the set design, and then the mm-hmm. actors. But he's a good he's good at casting, right? Yeah, I know, and I think that's his trick. He's like, I gotta just get the right person, and then we work yeah. from there. Yeah, obviously we talked about Austin Butler. We've talked about Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. uh, Olivia De Jong, De Jong, uh, who plays Priscilla Presley. Um, see, you have seen a movie she was in. In fact, her first movie. Do you know what that was? What? Uh, the Visit. Oh shit! She was the daughter from The Visit. Oh my God, you're right. Right? I forgot about that. Yeah. I I didn't even know she was Australian. So funny story. Outside of like three actors, the entire cast is Australian. And Mm -hmm. if you watch a lot of Australian movies, you're just going to be like, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. Well, that's also like, so Australia, contrary to the United States, does, you can get public funding for your movie. But if you do that, like many other countries, one of the deals is you have to film a large portion of your movie in Australia and you have to use majority Australian actors. Well, the entirety of Elvis was shot in Australia. So yes. So are most of Boz's movies. It's very, he actually, it's also why famously people say that his movies don't look real because he uses huge fucking, and I mean fucking huge sets or green screens Mm -hmm. because he makes Australia not look like Australia, Mm -hmm. but he famously, because he, if he films the majority of his movie in Australia, he gets a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. So, but famously, and it's, it you don't even realize the that's the case in uh, Elvis, while in uh, Great Gatsby, you can tell instantly that we are not in New York. You know, it's funny because as I was watching the movie, I kept going like, "Wait, that's uh, that's the chick from, <laughs> that's the that's the chick from Kangaroo Jack." Um, mm. The mom is played by the woman from Kangaroo Jack, the love interest really? from Kangaroo Jack. And then I was like, wait, that was that. Uh, that was a Faramir from Lord of the Rings. That's the one who plays uh, Hank Snow, the other country music artist. That's mm-hmm. Cody Smith McPhee, who just got nominated for Best Supporting yes. Actor in uh, in um, what was it called? Uh, Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then <laughs> we get to Vernon Presley. Uh, Elvis Presley's dad. Do you know who plays him? Who? Richard Roxborough, a.k.a. Dracula from Van Helsing. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. That's That's him? That's Dracula from Van Helsing. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I was watching... (laughs) 
I was watching the movie and I just look at him and I'm like, oh my God, that's Dracula. That's fucking hilarious. That's when I knew, like, and then when I saw the Red Ranger, Dacry Montgomery, as playing one of the producers from the Elvis special, I was like, this was all shot in Australia, wasn't it? And then sure as heck, I look at the credits and it's all shot in Queensland, Australia. All Australia, like all of it. (laughs) The only other American actor outside of Austin Butler and Tom Hanks was Kelvin Harrison Jr. He oh, pl- okay. He played B.B. King. You might mm. know him from Loose and Waves. Yes, that no, I, I did know that. And no, it I, comes yes. at night. Yes, that is him. And he's he did a great job no, in this. He does, okay, so here's the thing. Because he's a, a really good actor. A, a lot of like R&B artists ha- are, have cameos in this movie in, in the sense of like you got B.B. King. You get an entire mini musical number of little Richard singing Tutti Frutti. And and it's great. It, it is amazing. And the first thing that went through my mind was like, is uh, is that a man or a woman? Right? Like, I legitimately was like, is that a man or a woman? Because Boz Lerman shoots it in such a way that you never see little Richard's chest. And mm-hmm. he's stripping as he's singing. This very... Like, well, and then at the end, you figure it out. You're like, oh, okay. Well, well they never show... They never show little he Richard... Rips- he rips off like most of his clothes at the end. Yeah, but you never see his chest. You just see like his shoulders. And I was like, and here's the thing. Like, little Richard, when he started out, famously was androgynistic. Like, that was his whole act, right? Mm. And But he was also, he was, to a very certain group of people, he was a sex symbol. Yes, well. yes. And, and the simple fact that... And this Elvis biopic captured the androgyny, the sexual ambiguity, and the just the charred sexual nature of uh, Tutti Frutti, mm-hmm. right? Like, where I'm like, oh, this is why that song was banned in a lot of states. I oh, get yeah. I get it now. So I appreciated Boz Lerman doing that. Now, the only thing that bummed me out was that, so famously, Elvis Presley hated calling himself the king of rock and roll. He did not believe he was the king of rock and roll. He gave that title to famed Louisiana rhythm and blues artist Fats Domino. Mm-hmm. Which in the, mo- in the movie, there's a moment where Fats is in Vegas and he, it, Austin Butler, or sorry, um, uh, Elvis literally goes, oh, he's the real king. This is the yeah. real king. And the, the bummer part was that I really, really wanted to see a Fats Domino musical number. Well, because they, but the thing is, as far as we know, they, he's sure he saw him perform, but it, they weren't really close. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, as stated earlier, Kelvin Harrison Jr. plays B.B. King. Mm-hmm. We have, um, we have uh, Shanka Ducure playing Big Mama Thornton. Um, Which, that was an amazing, that was an amazing performance of that song. That was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, now, that version of how, that version of Hound Dog. Holy shit. You know, you know what? Uh, I, I would really hope that maybe he doesn't direct, but I really hope Boz Lerman produces a film about the musical sing in Memphis because they're like, as I was watching, you could the movie, do a, you could do a show on that. Yeah, you really could. And, Kelvin There's Harrison, enough of it. Ke- Kelvin Harrison Jr. as BB King, it would be perfect lead for that because mm-hmm. there's something there, you know. There, mm-hmm. there is something there. I was like, wow, this has a lot of potential because, again, everybody and their mother has heard Tutti Frutti, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but we don't understand the context of that, which is that was a very sexually charged song at the time, yeah. 
And it's only in this movie when you watch it, when you see how uh, Little Richard played that song, you're like, oh, I, I get it now. I get it why parents did not want their children listening to this song. No, yeah. Well, that's why par- parents, a lot of the musicians in this movie, parents hated. Yeah. Really hated. <laughs> like, yeah. They were the first, like, like before them, the bad influence people, and it wasn't really musicians, were the Three, the three Stooges. Yeah, no, it, it's it's so fascinating to see something that right now would be quote unquote rated G or rated E for everyone. Mm-hmm. And at that time, people were like, wait, you're listening to B.B. King? You're listening to Rhythm and Blues? You degenerate, you sexual deviant. And you'd be like... No, it was, it was considered genuinely like this deviant lesser form. And here's the thing. One thing the movie shows is that a lot of the hatred for this movie, there was like this racial undertone to it. No, there there was a racial undertone to it, right? There 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 was this And that's also why I appreciate it, is that this movie acknowledged the fact that this movie acknowledged it made me okay with these slightly rose tinted glasses of his um his his tribute to uh blues and such. Yeah, again, it it really it gives you so much context as to why parents and moral guardians were just so up in arms about rock and roll. Because like famously on the uh, Ed Sullivan show, he, um, they shot him from the waist up. It was like a thing. Like yeah. they were like, well, the movie depicts this too, but like it was a major issue. Um, also before I forget one thing I was really surprised at the, and they went into it, but I thought it was, they were going to go more into it was him joining him going into the army. Like I really thought they were going to do more about that when it was really just a few scenes. Yeah. And the reason why I thought they were going to go more into it was because Al, there is an entire musical about uh, Elvis going into the army. Yeah. That is Bye Bye Birdie. That entire musical is about just that because the amount of women, adult and Teenage women and other people too, but a lot of women. It was a huge protest that they made when mainly teenage girls, let's be fair. But when they found out that Elvis was being sent to war, in fact, it's why famously he kind of had a really great time in the army because they were going to for damn sure make sure that he was not a hair on his fucking head was harmed. Exactly. They were going to, he was. He was, if he died, they were they knew the morale was fucked. He was he, died. he was America's primary and most most well known cultural export during his heyday. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Like one guy, and then you're and you're like, and here's the thing: the move, the fact that the movie shows like, oh no, they sent him to the army intentionally, and it's like, here's the thing. It's like, I get it. They want to show that nobody's above it, but like. Listen, you, if something happens to him, you're, as I said, you are fucked if something happens to him. I'm trying to think. It probably wasn't Truman. It was probably Eisenhower. I'm trying to remember who was the president when he was drafted. I guarantee you that he was getting... He was getting daily reports on the status of uh, Elvis Presley's well-being. Oh, I'm sure it was like, no, he just, uh, I don't want him <laughs> well, near a gun. You know, I know that uh, that Elvis Presley's heyday was, started way before La Dolce Vita ever come out, came out. Mm-hmm. But you see how just the press followed him in a, like a swarm of locusts. You're like, 
wow, he really was one of the first victims of paparazzi, even though that word wasn't invented yet until La no, Dolce but he Vita. was. And yeah, it's one of those things that like I, I th there are little things where I'm like, I'm really glad the movie went this direction instead of the standard like, oh, let's just have him play the hits. Let's have him do the normal Elvis things we expect him to do. No, I'm, I'm glad they kind of took little detours, even though it went to the same destination. Um, no, sorry, go on. One, one thing I do appreciate, like, listen, we all know Elvis died fat and on a toilet. I appreciate that the movie's like, you know, it's such an undignified thing. Let's not show it. But no. let us do show, like, just how worn down he was by the end of it. You yeah. know? So I, I, there is we a... We literally have a show. They, there is the recording. His last show, the night he died. Yeah. Like, literally that, two, a few hours later, he dies. Yeah. And you see, and I do actually, normally I hate when they fade to the real person, but it was so seamlessly done where it's Austin Butler, you know, playing Elvis, and then they cut, and you see how beaten and exhausted Elvis is, and just how, like, but he's still trying, he's still going forth, and the fact that he literally needs help to play the fucking piano. He needs like, help to sit down. Yeah, he can't stand up and sit down. He needs to like he needs help with that. Um, also, this... he's, he's rehydrating himself with Coca Cola. Oh, yeah. oh, God! It was it was rough. And you when you and the thing is, it's one of the few times we're showing the real person at the end work because it's like, um, you look at that and but I didn't know that that was like his last show before he died. But when you see Elvis, like when they cut to really him in that moment, you look at that and the thought I had in my head was, he's gonna die. It's yeah. like, no, I, I did too, die. but I really am glad that Boz Lerman was like, okay, he died in a very undignified way. What, what dignity can I find from his last moments? And I think he found the best example, uh, Elvis singing Unchained Melody in an amazing, amazing way, even though he's, he's he, despite all the drugs, he never lost his voice yeah, somehow. Yeah. No. Somehow and he, that, he maintained like, that. And that's usually the first to go when you use heavy drugs, your voice, but he, he yeah. still had it, you know? Yeah. Um, and no, I, I appreciate Boz Lerman for being like, we're not going to end this with Elvis on a toilet. We're going to end him with him. Yes. Fat. Yes. Sweating. Yes. Not able to stand, but he's going to be singing the hell out of unchained melody. And I, 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 what I'm trying to say is that while Boz Lerman can be a bit much for some people, I think yeah. his style, his excess, his hyper adrenaline style filmmaking, for the most part, not for everything, but for the most part, really worked for this movie. Well, so, what it made me realize is his Boz works when it's a movie about music. Yes. That's when it, that's when, and that's confirmed this for me. It's like it, because even if it's not about music, he can't help but put music in it way too much. And then, yeah. then it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I'll mention, just be, just because it, it it is odd to not bring it up. And I know it, I, believe me, let me be clear. I understand this is more a critique of the movie. But we all, we know the other big controversy about Elvis Presley was that he met his wife when she was significantly younger. It was a 10-year age difference. He was 24, she was 14. The movie does not depict this. And at the end of the day, I think the, Boz the, sort of had to make a choice. He's like, because there's no way I can make this Well, here's the thing. The, look good. the movie shows us when they're dating. 
They just make sure not to tell us her age. Yes, and, and, and obviously, listen, and we know I, the actress isn't fourteen. Yeah, so like listen, I'm not. I'm not trying to be blasé about this. I understand why it makes people uncomfortable now, but listen, this was the '50s, early '60s. This was very, very common. It, it, it just was. I'm not. I'm not trying to be dismissive of the ickiness of it all. I'm just saying, like. Elvis was doing what other men did, which was like, oh, yeah, let me date a 14-year-old. Let me. But we let can me also acknowledge, because there were a lot of letters back and forth and stuff, we can acknowledge that under today's very good and crucial standards, someone doing this would be grooming. Yeah, no, it totally would. Let's be clear. I, I totally understand that. I, I think a big thing to also remember is that Priscilla Presley has never ever implied that or she, she she has she said the marriage broke down because of his drug use and his infidelities, but that you know he was never like icky towards her when they started dating because they didn't get married until she was seventeen. This is true. She did she has gone on the record for her whole life that there was never any as she felt, and she made it clear she only spoke for herself. But she felt there was no abuse in that sense. Yeah. And again, she was speaking exclusively for herself in that way. Yeah. That so being that being said, I think said, that's why Boz felt okay with that. That being said, it's still an icky thing. Oh, it's and, it's, and, and, it's gross. And listen, it's gross. listen. I'm just, I am glad that it is not socially acceptable for for freaking twenty year old men to to talk to girls that way. I, I'm happy with that. I'm I am glad that is not a standard in the United States anymore. Oh yeah. Um, now, now again, the movie basically just doesn't acknowledge it. Like, yeah. there, there's no like. Th- all they say is like, "Oh, she's the daughter of a, of like a general or something, yeah. or a colonel or something," yeah. and that's it. But you know, that being said, that being said, although I will say, I think the movie very intentionally in the first time they meet, they're just talking, and there really isn't any sexually charged there's emotional energy no sexual energy in that scene One, and i think that was intentional as you know, well. yeah like I, like that the scene where they first meet or the scene where they're where we see them together for the first time is nowhere near the same stratosphere as when elvis presley is dancing that is the most sexually charged yeah. moment of the, like like you see scenes where he's waking up in bed with beautiful women Nowhere near as sexually charged as when he's singing and dancing, which I think is very intentional. That is that. Oh, that was completely by design. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like, yes, he had sex. Yes, he slept with a lot of women. But the quote unquote rated R scenes are when he's dancing. And yeah, those are the rated I, I, scenes. I know that sounds so <laughs> weird. But when you watch the movie, you really do go like, oh, wow. Yeah, I can see why some guys call this super degenerate. You know, even though it's just a guy wiggling. Yeah, he's wiggling around. <laughs> but the way Buzz Lerman shoots it, it really is. You're like, oh, okay. I see why this senator went crazy. Like, literally, the <clears throat> sen- that senator, like, and here's the thing. It, the movie's depicting it, and I'm like, this senator couldn't have been that up in arms about this. I looked it up. Holy shit. He really, like, okay. this was a crusade this guy had. Yeah, it was okay, fucking okay. Weird. So that's that senator, right? He was one of the senators uh, Joe Biden mentioned working with when he came to the Senate. And that, and that every, was controversial. No, and well that was super ever, controversial because everyone was like, he was a segregationist. And he was. Yeah. He was. No, he was what, I, what I find super funny, and I, for the life of me, cannot prove if this is true or not. 
the movie kind of implies that his son, it, it seems to be his only son. His son was gay. Yeah, yeah his son was gay. And, and I'm I, like, <laughs> I, I yeah. was like, wait, is that true? And the guy's Wikipedia page says nothing about his children. So I'm like, if that's true, that's hilarious. Yeah, but I, the moment I saw that too, that clip, I heard a bunch of people start laughing in the audience because they're like, oh my God, yes. Hell yes. Yeah, so uh, see, uh, what, uh, g- give the people your rating. All right, so here's the thing. At the end of the day, I look at this and this is, so this is a, you know what? This is a, you go to a slot machine, you put in a penny, you pull it, you pull the slot machine, and you win the jackpot. That's what this is. So, what does that mean? Winning the jackpot is way better than a flush, but winning the jackpot is not better than a fuck. So, it's a jackpot. It is. It almost fucks, but I can't. I can't quite give it that. But it's definitely more than a flush. So it is a. It is a Vegas jackpot. Truly. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm kind of right there with you. I did not love this movie as nearly as much as I loved something like The Northman or Top Gun Maverick. Sure, but I really liked this. But you're, and here's the thing: you know what makes it? What you know what gives you it such a high rating? You're surprised at how much you like it. Yeah, I I really liked it. Um, I I I as I was watching this, okay, there have been a couple things I've seen this summer where I'm like oh, wow, I just saw a, a star being born, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is uh, Joe Quinn playing uh, Eddie Munson in uh, Stranger Things season four. I'm like, mm-hmm. he's going to be a star. And oh, yeah. I'm watching Elvis, and it was the same thing. I'm like, Austin Butler is going to be a star. He's By he... the way, before I forget, I'm saying it now. Joe Quinn as, as the new Flash. Make it trend. And I... I don't know who, what superhero I want Austin Butler to play. But he should oh, play he's he's going to be Cyclops, obviously. Oh, yeah, he'd be a great Cyclops. He's going to no, be a great Cyclops. He's yeah, going to do that. Austin Butler, I'm seeing a star being born in, in front of my very eyes, and I'm like, oh, wow, this guy this guy's going to have staying power because he gives it his all in his performance, but he gives a very humanistic performance. And you don't get that a lot these days, you know? Mm. Um, so... I'm still going to call this a flush, but I'm going to call this a rock and roll flush. Like, okay. I really, really understand. I I got a new appreciation for Elvis, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that he's the king of rock and roll, but I also know exactly how much of a big rebel he was and how much of, of a groundbreaking musical act he was and just the passion he had for music, both rock and roll, uh rhythm and blues country gospel you know Mm. and even christmas music that even though he hated he still has some of the best christmas songs of all time blue blue christmas is that the name of it yeah Yeah. like like he intentionally tried to fuck up that song oh yeah no he he hated in fact the movie depicts that really well too he hated the christmas shit he really hated it and everyone says like oh that christmas album is one of the best christmas albums of all time Uh, like like michael buble will never reach that height of quality (laughs) 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 but in any case in any case this is a rock and roll flush for me this is a film that definitely should be seen in theaters because oh, the bigger yeah. the screen, the more you just can appreciate everything Boz Lerman throws at you. Yeah. Um, this is a. Is it your favorite Boz Lerman movie? Oh, it's 
Yeah, I, I think I like this a little bit more than Moulin Rouge because <laughs> contrary to popular belief, the whininess of even McGregor's character kind of grates me a bit. Kind of. By the way, if you see any, to be clear, I think we're we're pretty much agreeing here. You only need to see two Baz Luhrmann movies: Moulin Rouge and Elvis. You're good. You're. I I like a Great Gatsby. What can I say? <laughs> you know what? I think it's because it was it was when I discovered Lana Del Rey, and I was like, oh, I like this. Great. Oh God! I just yes. admitted that I like Lana Del Rey. Listen, listen. <laughs> Listen, Al, I'm really tempted to say your real name right now, but I'm not going to. Thank you, C. Thank you. I, I, I feel ashamed <laughs> over what I just admitted. But what's funny is it doesn't matter because only like some of our friends listen to this right now. So they all they know you like Lana Del Rey. And listen, I can say I like Lana Del Rey too, but guess what? It's not as big of a deal for me to say that as it is for you to say I know, that. I and know. And you know why. I know. I know. I know. I know. That's what's amazing about this. I know. This. I know. I know. You I get know. to be, be ashamed and I don't have to. Isn't that amazing? <sighs> Screw you, C. Screw you. Well, in any right. case... In any case, a jackpot and a rock and roll flush is what you get with Elvis. Yeah. I really do think this should be seen in theaters. Um, mm-hmm. Even if you're not an Elvis fan, even if you're not really into that whole era of rock and roll You do music, not have to be an Elvis fan, folks. Yeah, you really you, don't. You really don't. Um, if anything, watch this because you're you're going to see a star being born. Like, that's so rare these days because everything is always led by IP now mm-hmm. um, and, like, sequels and, like, adaptations like nothing is really led by star power anymore. And to be fair, this isn't either. This is led by the music and the image of Elvis and the legacy of Elvis. But trust me. But this wouldn't work without Austin Butler nailing the performance. Exactly. Yeah, it wouldn't. I I expect him to be nominated for best actor in the upcoming Academy Awards. And if, if he's not, we're really going to talk about how out of touch they are. Yeah. And honestly, I, I got to say, for me, he's the favorite to win right now. Well, well, okay, it's so early. I, I know it's early. I know, like, in Let's two or three months, there. we're going to have a review where I'm like, no, this guy's going to win the Oscar because, oh, my God, I was crying, and he's going to win. <laughs> because I've come to learn that if you can make me cry in a movie, that you're probably going to win the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> well, in any case, that's been our review for Elvis. Uh, I'm Al. I'm C. Later. Good night, everybody.